figure, you know, figure out what makes you tick and what brings you joy and happiness and purpose. Um, and then just start taking steps to manifesting it. I mean, my, my experience, I'll, I'll get a little personal here is like, I had this tug and I kind of knew intuitively that I was on this path that was ultimately going to lead me to where I wanted to be, but that it was going to be a process. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 60 of Life in Motion. I've got Mackenzie McGrath on the line, who is the director of programs at First Ascent, a nonprofit that focuses on providing life-changing adventures for young adults that are impacted by cancer and other serious medical conditions. I'm excited to learn about how these programs are making a difference and helping put a smile on their face. Uh, but Mackenzie, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. Yes, yes. I'm excited to kind of dive into the programs and everything. But before we get started with that, um, let's kind of set the stage of who you are, um, you know, who, uh, where you grew up, hobbies you had growing up, kind of how, what led you to where you are at today? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I was born in, in Miami and uh, lived there, kind of raised on the water until um, I was about 12. And then my family relocated to Iowa. So I went to about probably the most like opposite yeah. <laughs> locations in the United States possible. Um, went from, you know, a beach kind of childhood to a 70 acres farm in Iowa. Um, went to undergrad in Washington, DC, and then graduate school for international studies here at the University of Denver in Colorado. All right. Um, always, you know, been interested in um, traveling and exploring and my love for the outdoors kind of evolved over the course of time, but um, spent a lot of time kind of on and off about a decade overseas um, after college and after graduate school um, in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East for, for work and just for personal travel. That's awesome. So um, kind of back, so you grew up in, how long were you in Miami for? Like as a beach kid? <laughs> yeah, we, we left when I was 12 years old. Okay. So some formative years, but not my, not my teenage years. Yeah. So what, so in your family moved out there to a 70 acre farm, you said, or just like, that just seems yeah. like what, what was, what was kind of that, that thought or not that thought process. What was the reason behind that? It's just kind of interesting, you know? Well, my parents split up when I was two, um, but my mom remarried to an old college friend who is a physician and he had a practice in, um, in Iowa. So that's kind of why um, we ended up going there and I lived with her full time. So uh, my brother and I moved with her. Um, my dad stayed back in Miami um, and I would, of course, go spend summers down there and visit there a lot. Um, so it was kind of a shuffle between Miami and Iowa. But that's the reason why we ended up moving Oh, well, that's, that's a interesting mix. Like you said, kind of the, the best of both worlds, as far as, uh, the, uh, the adventures go. Um, and then you went to, uh, graduate or went to school in DC and then started traveling as well. What, what are uh, you mentioned traveling for, um, for work or being, you know, across the world for work? What, what was that work for kind of what, and what kind of were those experiences that you had kind of out there as, you know, maybe working versus, just exploring or traveling. Totally. So college in DC, um, was super exciting and, you know, engaging, you know, I knew that I wanted to get 
back to the East Coast and be connected to the world and the global community. Um, but I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I think a lot of people might not know it, you know, in their early college years. And it's just a process of figuring out, figuring it out. At least it was for me. But um, I did four years in DC and my brother um, Torn was also out there as well. So I kind of followed him. That was one of the yeah. reasons why I went out there. Um, and I just loved traveling and I had been exposed to international travel um, as, as a young kid. And so, you know, after I graduated college, it was just like, I don't care what I do. I just want to get overseas <laughs> and experience it. So I just kind of took any job that I could. So I did the, you know, standard teaching English in Japan for a year and then um, spent a year in New Zealand um, where I was introduced to climbing actually in my early twenties. A good um, place to get started with that, right? Oh my God. It was awesome. <laughs> I had no idea what I was climbing. <laughs> I had no idea like the quality and how special that experience was the quality of the rock and to be learning out there. But that was my first introduction to, to rock climbing was um, a year that I spent in, in Wanaka, New Zealand, just working at a vineyard and, uh, a climbing gym and a pizza parlor and just traveling and and climbing and learning what it was what it was like to be independent on my 20s and living overseas I mean so those were those were kind of like the the early years I think while I was over in New Zealand um I had done a lot of work um on vineyards and there were a lot of migrant workers there from um, South Asia and Southeast Asia and listening to their stories and the, their experiences of trying to find work abroad and then sending remittances or money back home to support their family. I became really intrigued with um, the idea of working in an industry that I could, that was social impact and philanthropic oriented that was connected to something larger than myself or my own domestic experience. So that led me to start applying for graduate school programs um, to study international relations. And, and so that brought me back to the United States. And in 2007, I came back to Colorado and I only looked at graduate school programs that offered decent IR programs and where I could rock climb. And that landed me <laughs> that landed me here in Denver and I studied international relations and humanitarian aid. Cool. That's, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, being out of college initially and learning to climb at New Zealand and working at a winery and all this other stuff, that's a pretty, that's pretty awesome. Good way to start off things. Uh, I would say at least. Um, yeah. So that's cool. So then you, you uh, got back to Colorado um, and studied international um, relations yeah. Um, what, where, where, where did kind of that path kind of lead you then next, as far as, um, you know, once, once you, uh, you know, finish up that degree and then whatnot. Totally. totally. It was a process of, you know, trial and error and figuring out what I like and what I don't like. And I was just new to the humanitarian aid world. And so the first few years was just solely about, um, experience um and getting out there in the field and so some of the kind of more formative and early experiences that I had were um 
as part of my school program, I spent some time at um, Hebrew University over in uh, Jerusalem, Israel, okay. and uh, and then actually volunteered and did some internship programs uh, in East Jerusalem, which is where uh, the Palestinian community lives, as well as out at uh, Dehesha Refugee Camp, which is a an internally displaced persons camp run by the UN in the West Bank. Um, so there, were, that was really some formative years for me in terms of for the first time ever seeing, um, you know, open conflict and gross human rights violations. I think uh, on a more positive note, you know, I was super into rock climbing and there were these incredible limestone crags on the other side of the separation wall in West Bank that I would go to and climb. And that was a pretty radical experience just crossing through the wall um, to go rock climbing with my friends. That's, that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a pretty cool experience and a very unique one. Um, and after that, my first job out of grad school was actually um, took me to Africa and I did refugee resettlement work where um, you know, the United States has a large refugee resettlement program where we accept um, one of the highest number of, of refugees um, facing persecution internationally. And they would need social workers essentially to go out to these refugee camps and meet with these uh, refugee applicants. So that's a lot. I did that for a year um, and I was based in Nairobi, but I spent a lot of time in refugee camps in Uganda and Ethiopia and Kenya, traveled to South Africa and all those places I got to climb as well, like have some really cool memories of climbing in Hell's Gate, Kenya, where there's like baboons and giraffes and zebras running underneath me. And, wow. You know, there were no bolted routes there. So it was like, if I wanted to climb, I had to learn how to trad climb. And so that's kind of how I got into trad climbing a lot too, is just like going to these far flung locations internationally and, and then going, well, if I want to climb, I got to kind of put up the routes, you know, and yeah, you know, it's just get out there and find some partners. So um, that was, you know, some of my earlier experiences. And then during that whole process, I had actually applied to be a foreign service officer um, for the United States Agency for International Development, so USAID, uh, which is really the, the federal um, US government agency that does all international aid and development related projects overseas that are funded by the US government. So it took about two years to go through that whole interview process and to get accepted and do the security clearances and everything. And um, finally I got it, but yeah, it was a two year process. And then that kind of took me on a whole nother exciting direction. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like, um, I'm just, I'm just thinking about you rock climbing in a safari below you. That's pretty awesome too. Uh, I didn't, I, I, you know, this is the best part about these kind of interviews, learning kind of these backstories about these different people and their passions and, and crazy stories like that. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it was otherworldly. That's for sure. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like a lot of your um, experiences as well, you know, got to see some amazing things, but I'm sure also pretty, um, 
I guess humbling would be the right word to say. And kind of, I'm sure kind of grew, um, some appreciation for, you know, how, how good, I guess other people have it comparatively, you know, which is cool that it seemed like you're obviously passionate about being there and helping, you know, those situations how you could. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, often tell myself our our trials and tribulations are all relative and just based on one's, you know, personal experience and, and whatnot. Um, But it was certainly an eye-opening enlightening experience to really go to the depths of, um, you know, these kind of humanitarian contexts and seeing the difference in terms of what people were struggling with and, and trying to make sense of and how they were trying to improve their lives versus, you know, what it is for Westerners. Um, And so that was, you know, a very, very incredible and and powerful experience and i feel very fortunate that i could do both you know that i had the opportunity to observe and witness a lot of what a lot of the world and how a lot of the world lives um but i also you know could in my spare time (laughs) and travel and bike and do you know what brings me a lot of what brings me a lot of joy yeah, of course. So, so after, um, a- after you got, uh, I guess, accepted into, um, the program or went through that interview process, the two year long one, what was kind of the next step that sort of, um, and obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're leading up to, you know, everything at first is sense as well and kind of how, how that got there. So, um, so yeah, what, what kind of happened next? Um, I had to come back to Washington, DC, um, so I, I moved to Washington I did, you know, a year of an introduction and training. Um, I got my first assignment, which was in Kazakhstan. And that was in, that's in Central Asia. Um, and I was like, where is that? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> um, no idea, uh, but it, it turned out to be a really incredible country and an experience, which I'll, which I'll drop into in a second here. But it was a they speak Russian there and that's, that's their, um, business language. So I had to do, um, a year of intensive Russian language training and pass a proficiency exam (laughs) and about six months based in, in, uh, DC. And then, then I was sent out to Kazakhstan and I spent almost three years there, um, as a program development officer. So that was kind of, uh, Well, it was an amazing experience. I was based in Almaty, um, which is on the border of Kyrgyzstan. And they have, you know, some of the hugest mountains in the world are there. Um, And so I got to, you know, that's where I was introduced to backcountry skiing and did a lot of rock climbing um, in Kazakhstan and in Kyrgyzstan. And um, our our, uh, mission was a regional mission that ran aid and development programs in most of the stand countries. Yeah. So I got to travel a lot to some really cool places, including Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan. And um, in my spare time, you know, I was a hardcore kind of weekend warrior. Um, when I wasn't at the office, I was skiing or climbing or running or biking or whatever. And it was a, it was a, radical professional experience, but I, that's when I started to feel the tug. I was a little like, 
ah, I really love the outdoors. I find that there's something really empowering and healing about spending time outdoors. How can I, I don't know if I'm on the right path. This, I know this is going to lead me to where I ultimately want to go, but I started kind of putting the pieces together and I thought, we all, you know, I really want to figure out a way to combine my passions and that's, you know, my love for climbing in the outdoors. And then, you know, my deep desire to do deep social impact related work in support of, of others and just support their healing. So it was a process then that, you know, a seed that was kind of planted then that was like, okay, how can I make this come together? Um, do you want me to go on, Jeremy? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm listening. So and it's kind of interesting, uh, kind of to comment on that real quick. Yeah, like you said, you knew you had this passion for the outdoors, and you knew you kind of enjoyed the work you're doing. But it sounds like you had that pool. So yeah, what? Uh, and it's it's cool to have. I, I'm assuming it was cool to have all those back experiences behind you to kind of help guide you as well. So what? Um, yeah. What did you What did you do? Kind of when you came to that that crossroad. Well, the crossroad was really, um, my brother Torin, um, he was three and a half years older than me at the time he was living in the States. Um, but he was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. Oh. Um, he had recently just gotten married and he and his wife at the time were, you know, they'd saved up all their money. They had started taking a year round, uh, or excuse me, a year long honeymoon around the world. And they were in New Zealand of all places, which is kind of um, interesting where he started getting really sick and they diagnosed him there and they said, you got to get home immediately. So that, you know, that kind of life changing experience for him and my family automatically, you know, put, put the brakes on, on, uh, my work in the foreign service, which was fine. I think I was honestly kind of (laughs) looking for something else anyways, Um, but that really stopped me in my tracks in terms of coming to grips with like, you know, our impermanence and his limited time here. Um, and you know, how much I want to show up for him and how much I want to be present and how do I make myself available? Um, so I came back to the United States. Um, I left the foreign service, which was a hard decision, but the right one and one that I don't have any regrets about. Um, and then we kind of went on this medical tour, like many, many families do if somebody is newly diagnosed with cancer is trying to figure out what their options are, who the specialists are, who the experts are and where they should get treatment. Um, so that was kind of a whirlwind experience of a lot of time, you know, going into various oncology centers from Iowa to Manhattan and, uh, figuring out what torn what Torrance options were. Um, so, you know, just to kind of keep things moving and keep me in the mix and keep me employed, um, while also knowing that I needed to be flexible in terms of my ability to move around and take time off work. I, I started my own LLC and, and worked as a nonprofit consultant for just various, um, nonprofits doing mostly international aid and development work. So that's kind of, I did that for four years, which okay. was, which was, you know, really reactive and in response to the family situation, um, but also offered me an opportunity to really 
you know, be there for my family, be there for myself and, and also, um, climb because that's yeah. what brought me so much joy. And so I, I did, a I did a lot of climbing, a lot of traveling and, uh, took up a little bit of guiding on the side too. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, obviously I'm sorry to hear about the first part about that, but it, uh, how you were able to kind of adapt and not only to be there for your family, but I'm sure also, you know, being able to have that other fulfillment of climbing and also helping these different nonprofits and that kind of stuff probably helped, um, bring some, um, I don't know, I don't know, balance is the right word, but, you know, kind of help, help you with that during that time, I guess, you know, as an outlet, maybe. Absolutely. And during that time is when I found out about first ascents, um, my brother, and I were introduced to the organization by way of a friend who was working at the company at the time. Um, and my brother fell in love with the, you know, the concept and what they were trying to do. And mostly because he was young at all in his early thirties and felt so alienated and isolated in terms of, you know, his diagnosis and, essentially fighting for his life. And this, this place was a common ground in a community that he could turn to that um, would understand what he was going through. And so he had applied for a program uh, actually to do a whitewater kayaking program in Jackson hole. Unfortunately, wasn't able to make it because um, he, he passed um, two years after his diagnosis. But I think that, you know, that really stuck with me is like, I looked at this organization, I go, that's it you know, this is what I've been looking for. Um, and, you know, I had never dreamed of working in support of the young adult cancer community that was not on my radar at the time, but I think just life circumstances, mm. like for so many of us that work at FD, we are touched by cancer, um, you know, and it kind of leads us to this community. Uh, so that's how I found FD and that's how I ended up where I am now. That's uh, interesting. And uh, sorry again about, you know, your, your brother. Um, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting how, uh, how life's past take us and, and lead us to, you know, to like where you're at now, like, you know, those unfortunate circumstances, but you're now out there helping others that are going through the similar thing. So bring, bring joy to them. So that's, uh, that part of it is, is, is really, um, is really cool. So to, to that point, I know you touched a little bit about first sense, but for, you know, people that don't know exactly what, what you all do there, what, um, what sort of is the mission and, and the kind of the vision of, of kind of the, the organization, um, you know, this kind of the story, story behind it, you know, almost like where the need came from and sort of those kinds of things. Totally. Um, First Ascents provides uh, free outdoor adventures for young adults impacted by cancer and other serious health conditions. Um, FD was, we were founded in 2001 in Vail Valley, Colorado, actually. Okay. Um, and what began with one program, um, which was 15 participants kayaking on the Colorado River, has grown to hundreds of programs across the nation, as well as some, some programs internationally. Um, and then, you know, First Ascents is a CNN Heroes um, awarded nonprofit. And, and so we've also gained a lot of um, visibility and support 
um, from receiving that, that award um, a few years ago. And our vision um, is to become the global leader in adventure-based healing. So that means, you know, eventually getting to a place where we have a footprint and a presence across the globe. That, that's awesome. So I, I would assume that I, I, like you said, kind of the, the idea of the organization kind of probably came from somebody that was affected one way or the other um, yeah. with that. So with with the, the trips, um, I guess, you know, you're, you're offering kind of that outlet and kind of that maybe almost that sense of giving back some freedom, I would assume, um, to, to these young adults. What, I guess, what, what, what do those programs look like? You know, you mentioned, you know, whitewater rafting, for example, you know, or whatever that might be. What, what does that program, is it just, you know, Hey, okay, we get 15 people and we're going, you know, kind of have this experience or like, is there, I don't know, therapy is probably not the right word, but are there like different things like within that, like, uh, I don't know, therapy is the only thing I can think of, but you know what I mean? Kind of, you know, the activity and then kind of the off the site, you know, non-activity part as well. Totally. Um, well, this year and last year due to the pandemic, well, pandemic yeah. <laughs> atypical years for us, but also the usual more, year. <laughs> yeah. Speak more broadly. I mean, we're op- we're in operation and we're doing really well, which is, which is great. So That's awesome. we've made it through the pandemic and, um, and are excited to get back to programming here pretty soon, but our programs are, um, all about community and adventure and they're non-clinical, non-therapeutic. Um, unlike some of our, you know, other um, kind of actors who are working in the same space, um, we don't have social workers or therapists on site. It's an okay. it's an organic, authentic experience that just naturally unfolds when you bring young adults together who have gone through a really extreme, life changing experience together, um, and you know they're they're brought together in the same room on the same river on the same rock. Um, and you, you know, that the outdoor element of it and the activity, whether it's rock climbing or ice climbing or whitewater paddling, it's just a forum. It's just the activity that we base, um, the program around that supports people in terms of self-discovery learning, you know, what, what they can do, um, feeling, you know, strength in their, their body and practicing self-compassion and seeing improvements in self-esteem, um, et cetera. So the programs are, uh, now where we're at is we specialize our, our key competency are multi-day programs. Um, and that could be, you know, they're, either programs that people could just drive to or programs that they could fly to, Um, and they are largely centered around, as I mentioned, rock climbing, ice climbing, surfing, and whitewater kayaking. And we bring, you know, we really believe in maintaining, um, the integrity of a small group experience. So our programs are usually about 12 to 15 young adults. And we go to this really cool place, whether it's Rocky Mountain National Park here in Colorado or, um, paddling, let's say hood river in Oregon. Yeah. Um, and it's an experience. The arc of the experience is what we call it, where we, you know, teach people, we teach these young adults, you know, basic introductory skills. Um, so ultimately 
they gain confidence and they become um, self-sufficient so they can rock climb or, or paddle. Um, by the end of the program, we take them through what's called, you know, a graduation experience. And that might be like a multi-pitch rappel or a class three whitewater rapid. Um, and they're all supported along the way. We partner with uh, really qualified and certified guides, um, yeah. outfitters across the United States who are there to support them, to teach them, um, knowing that nobody needs, there's no prerequisite to attend our programs. Nobody, actually the majority of our programs, or excuse me, the majority of our participants have never done said activity. Um, so they're learning all together for the first time. Um, and then, you know, throughout the program experience, we do these really wonderful reflective um, and sharing based exercises. We call them our traditions and ceremonies. One, for example, is just a nightly campfire where okay. we all come together and our lead staff, they're kind of like our, our camp counselors, um, you know, pose a question to the group and there's an opportunity for folks to share if they want. And some of, some of the questions might be, you know, what did you learn about yourself today? Um, or how did you surprise yourself today to something, you know, a little bit deeper about their respective um, diagnosis or the impact on themselves or their family? Yeah. So in, in one sense, you know, the, at least hearing you explain it, it almost sounds like the, those activities kind of, as you mentioned, you know, they, they might, they might also kind of act you know, where you don't have, you know, social workers or actual therapists or anything like that along with the trips, but those activities seem like they probably act as an icebreaker for these individuals to eventually opening up and sharing those stories once they get to around the campfire, whether or not, you know, they're together doing the activity or whatnot. So that's probably, um, that's probably even more beneficial, like you said, because it's more of a natural kind of, you know, opening up rather than kind of a forceful, you know, or not forceful, but you know, you understand what I mean, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, for many of our participants, it's the first time that they've gathered with other young adults who have gone through a similar yeah. experience. And so naturally over the, you know, the, the course progression, they start to connect with one another, connect with themselves, um, share and some, you know, there's no, it's, not forced. People can share if they want, or they don't have to. Um, but I think one thing for me to point out, Jeremy, which is a differentiator between FD and a lot of oncology and mentor-based organizations in, that exist in the world today, is that we focus on the young adult community. And that's young adults um, ages 18 to 39, okay. with a grace period up to 45. And you know, to kind of put things in perspective, each year about 80,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Okay. And, you know, this is about eight times the number of children diagnosed with cancer under the age of eight, of, under the age of 15. And research shows that young adults diagnosed with cancer have increased risk of anxiety and depression, substance abuse, and suicide. Um, so, you know, imagine your young adult years, which is such a defining and pivotal time in life when people are finishing college or they're building a career or navigating relationships, starting a family. And then, you know, and that's when you're really establishing your true identity. And then you hear the words, you have cancer or you have MS 
or, and I can get into what the other programs that we're offering are. Um, and that in and of itself, you bring that community together and just kind of magic happens. Yeah. That's, and, and I, and I'm glad you shared with the, uh, those numbers because I, you know, honestly, honestly, I have no clue, but I, I didn't put into that perspective. It's kind of, that makes a lot of sense. Um, why you all are focused in, in that, um, kind of area. Um, one, one thing you mentioned, you said a lot of these individuals, you know, they might've never done these activities before. Um, so with that, how, I guess, how do they find you? And like, you know, I, I guess I'm curious to know, like kind of how, how that happens, you know, whether finding you and like, Hey, I've never rock climbed before, but I'm going to go rock climb. Like what, what is kind of that, that process like from, I guess the participant side? Oh yeah. Really, really great question there. Um, people hear about us and learn about us by a multitude of ways. It could be a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, we had, you know, we were present on social media. We have a strong, um, website pro or, uh, media presence. Um, but one of the major ways that people learn about us is through our campaign called prescribe adventure. Okay. And, what FD does is we have hundreds of healthcare partnerships across the United States. And that's with medical centers that have oncology and neurology um, and hematology focus. And, you know, we, we make inroads with a lot of these medical centers, build relationships with the social workers who then in turn, um, you know, share what we do with various physicians and nurses who refer their patients to us. And so, you know, imagine being a 22 year old sitting in the chemo chair, looking out the window and going, oh my God, I wish I could be out there, but I'm not well. And then a social worker, your nurse um, introduces the idea of first descents and says, hey, this is a great option for you. Um, it's gonna support you in your process and your journey. And it's gonna help you meet other young adults going through a similar experience. So that's a, that's another really big way that people hear about us. And yeah. that's a really successful campaign that we run and really just kind of, yeah, just supports our recruitment efforts and, and also our, um, our efforts to diversify our participant base as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and uh, yeah, and that's, that's cool that you have those relationships, um, to kind of help kind of with that word of mouth. Cause even to your point, you know, if they're sitting there in the chair, as you mentioned, looking outside, Hey man, I wish I could do this. Then, yeah. and they're probably not even thinking, well, and I, I could be wrong, but you know, they might have the thought, well, I'm never going to be able to do this again. And then, you know, somebody comes up, it's like, Hey, guess what? Here's a program perfect for you. I mean, that would, that would uh, seem to be pretty encouraging, you know, being in that, yeah. in that chair, thinking about that at that time. So totally. So, so you, so we kind of talked about the find your adventure and then the, the healthcare worker program. Then you guys also have another, uh, program nutrition I saw on there. Um, there's yeah. some other, some other different programs as well. Yeah. So let me start a little bit from the top. You know, we yeah. were originally founded almost 20 or over 20 years ago as an oncology focused organization and the young adult oncology community is our primary demographic in 2018. Um, we, we launched our first pilot program for young adults impacted by MS. Okay. And that's when we started this process of 
starting to look at other groups and noticing, hey, there's a lot of opportunity and overlap here in terms of what we offer and what we do and the impact that we have. Um, so we found a lot of similarities um, with regard to like the challenges that I mentioned um, among the oncology community as also in the MS community. So we piloted our first program in a, a, week, a week long whitewater um, kayaking program in Montana for a group of young adults impacted by MS. To my knowledge, I don't think there is any other organization out there that does outdoor adventure based programming for young adults with MS specifically. Um, so there was a real opportunity for us to be it, you know, offer something unique. Um, so we, we moved into the MS space then. Um, and then last year, um, in response to the pandemic, like most nonprofits and most companies out there, we were, you know, our leadership team sitting around and going, oh my gosh, we have to decommission all our oncology and MS programs. And we had, last year was our 20th anniversary year. We were gonna be offering a record number of programs, um, 150 to 200 programs. So we decommissioned all of those, hired a, an infectious disease expert and assembled our medical advisory board and identified the opportunity for us to really make a difference in the lives of these healthcare workers that are responding, that are on the front lines of the COVID-19 response efforts. Um, you know, reading the headlines and seeing what they were experiencing in terms of PTSD, um, anxiety, getting that sick themselves, um, and a real lack of opportunity for them to connect with one another um, and to get outside. So we launched what are called our hero recharge programs. And those are outdoor adventure based programs for healthcare workers on the front lines of COVID. Last year, as well as this year, we're focusing on um, the hardest hit areas of the United States where there's the largest group of healthcare workers that are in need. Um, we launched that, those programs last year and Jeremy we received over 10,000 inquiries from healthcare wow. workers last year alone. Yeah. That's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we serve one other community group and that is caregivers. And that, and what I mean by caregivers are loved ones, whether it's friends or family members of our primary demographic. So of, of our oncology NMS community that is in a caregiver role. So we're also serving and offering an opportunity for caregivers um, to come out and to connect with one another in an outdoor environment. That's awesome. So we serve four community groups at this time. That's, that's great that your outreach is that way and kind of um, touching everybody and even being able to make the, the pivot during the pandemic to support the individuals that are supporting your original demographic. You know, if that kind of makes all the sense to be able to kind of give back to them in that way, that's, that's awesome that you were able to, uh, figure out a way to do that. And not only that, but you had an overwhelming, uh, response. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's been exciting. So with that, I, I um, a couple, uh, I, I guess, do you have any, from your time with FD, do you have any, any specific stories or experiences or maybe that, that maybe like stick out the most to you as far as you know, just maybe is maybe it's something out on the program or something that you've heard or anything like that, just kind of encouragement that way. Any stories? There are so many stories. <laughs> I think, um, 
gosh, there are so many, um, you know, I'll, I'll speak just from personal experience. And one of my most recent experiences is I went out last September, um, and led our healthcare worker program for healthcare workers in Manhattan, okay. New Jersey, um, Philly, that whole area. Um, you know, and we all know that those healthcare workers just their experience was their COVID experience was so difficult for so many of them. Yeah. And I went out as a lead staff, um, and, and facilitated that program. And that took place in the Shawagunks, you know, so it's pristine, awesome, historic climbing just outside of Manhattan. Um, and just the experience or just the stories of sitting around campfire and hearing these stories of these healthcare workers who have been working shifts day in, day out, um, and, and what they had witnessed and what they had gone through in terms of the amount of death, um, the amount of exposure themselves um, to COVID and how normalized it was that they had just witnessed and experienced so much death. And then even many of them got sick themselves and brought COVID home to their family and their, their loved ones also got it. I think that was so surprising to me because I, you know, so many of us were just reading about what was happening in some, yeah. of, some of these urban centers, especially in Manhattan. Um, but getting to go out there and really connect and have these like personal one-on-ones and have this direct observation and conversations with some of these healthcare workers um, was just really enlightening and kind of a testament to the importance of our work. And so many of them, you know, were in their residency programs. And so they had just started oh, wow. their medical career and boom, they're working, you know, they're repositioned to the ER, urgent care, or ICU or whatever. And um, there's no opportunity to connect with their peers. They weren't having any social events or any mixers. So it was very, very traumatic experience for so many of them and incredibly isolating. So it was like, they just wouldn't stop talking. They were so excited to be, you know, outside of the city, outside of a work environment and getting to connect with one another for the first time. That's awesome. Uh, that's cool. And kind of to your point, you know, e even here where I, where I'm at, you know, there's obviously an affected everywhere, but like you said, those larger cities, you know, you just read this, you just read the stories and you don't understand the, the actual difference from, you know, where I live to, you know, in, in Manhattan, for example, or, you know, wherever like that. So uh, right. I'm sure that was very eye opening, And then, also, um, awesome to be able to, to know that they're sharing and enjoying their time and kind of recharging, you know, that battery pack, even you said being, yeah. being fresh into the res residency program and then, you know, being kind of thrown all into that, you know, due, due to yeah. circumstance, you know, that's pretty, uh, stressful as itself. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and not all of it is so, you know, deep and painful, um, of an experience, like we're all about culture and fun. Yeah. And, you know, one of my, one of my most favorite memories is my first week long program out at the Rogue River in Oregon. And it was an oncology program. And one of our participants was a DJ and he brought his turntables and he set up his turntables and we had dance parties and raves every single night. That's so awesome. <laughs> and we just had a blast. And, 
that's what it's about is just, you know, cutting loose, you know, being with one one another, having fun, reclaiming, reclaiming our lives and essentially, um, you know, pushing ourselves to our limits through these legitimate outdoor challenges and then experiencing some of the most beautiful places in, in the, in the country with, with our peers. That's awesome. So, uh, to that, to that point, what, what is, you know, you've, you've had an, a, so many experiences post or, or pre, uh, your experience with FD and all, everything, but what, what is a piece, one piece of advice that you could offer? Maybe somebody that's, that's looking to kind of maybe go down a similar path and maybe find that similar fulfillment that, you know, you eventually did with the climbing and helping others and kind of how that sort of ended up meshing a little bit. Um, yeah. And then also another spin, if, if maybe if you have been, you know, from personal experience or whatnot, but maybe a piece of of advice also for, uh, you know, an individual that is going through, you know, these, you know, either cancer or MS or anything like that, you know, to kind of the, Hey, you know, there's, there's that hope here's this, this outlet, like, you know, maybe help them get over that, that mental hurdle that they may or may not have. If that that was kind of a two point part advice, but Yeah. In terms of, you know, the first point about people that might be interested in this line of work, um, I think, you know, you can gather from the stories I shared with you, this was like a a journey for me and many, many, many years of, I mean, at 38 now, I started working in my You you might say it was a climb. (laughs) (laughs) It was a climb. Yeah. (laughs) It was a process of trial and error and learning a lot about what I like and what I probably more of what I don't like. Um, and so I would tell anybody out there who's, you know, trying to find, you know, what makes them tick and what they want to do is figure, you know, figure out what makes you tick and what brings you joy and happiness and purpose. Um, and then just start taking steps to manifesting it. I mean, my, my experience, I'll, I'll get a little personal here is like, I had this tug and I kind of knew intuitively that I was on this path, it was ultimately going to lead me to where I wanted to be, but that it was going to be a process. And so for me, I did a lot of, I really strongly believe, like I asked the universe for it. Like I journaled about it. I drew pictures. If I couldn't quite figure it out, you know, in words, what it is that I wanted. I used to draw these pictures of, of myself skiing up a mountain with a bunch of people with me. That's awesome though. (laughs) Yeah. And I really do believe that like, you know, in my speaking from personal experience, I didn't need to know exactly what it was, but I needed to know what, you know, what kind of industry and what kind of line of work I wanted to be in. And then I just started putting myself out there, asking questions, introducing myself, um, spending spare time, you know, getting to know other people that were doing similar kind of stuff. Um, And then ultimately it, manifested for me but I think it was because I I spent some time really sitting with it and figuring it out and and also learning a lot along the way failing a lot and doing a lot of stuff that I knew you know wasn't ultimately going to make me happy yeah yeah that that makes sense kind of be willing to be out there and kind of um you know find 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 what you're passionate about and not be afraid to go out there and and uh draw about it and turn into reality. (laughs) Absolutely. Even if it means like, 
volunteering or, um, you know, going in and meeting somebody for coffee or calling them on the phone. If it, you know, you identified somebody that does something really cool um, and you want to learn more about what they do. I did a lot of that for several years. Yeah, definitely. Networking. That's awesome. So, um, so with that, where can, where can people find uh, first assistance online um, and learn more about the programs, how to get involved? Um, you know, maybe that's from a volunteer standpoint or participating standpoint or kind of the different programs yeah. or whatnot. Totally. Check us out on our website at firstdescents.org. Um, whether you're a participant or a volunteer, an interesting, vo- interested volunteer, you can learn more about us and our program offerings on our website. Um, also, I'll just make a plug for something else that we're doing, Jeremy, that's super exciting is yeah. First Descents is kind of building you know, these other really cool resources and products to support our young adult community, including um, what we call the Outliving It Project. And the Outliving It Project is this adventure-based um, platform where people can tap into our community and network and plan outdoor adventure trips on their own with support from what we call our adventure consultants, if you will. Um, They can connect with other members of our community. So we have over 10,000 alumni um, and they have access to discounted trips, um, gear, um, vetted outfitters, et cetera. So you know, if somebody wants to get out on their own and adventure on their own um, in their own backyard, or maybe that a program, a facilitated program doesn't necessarily work for them, or they want to get out in the meantime while they're waiting for a program, the Outliving It Project is a really cool, awesome resource that you can learn about on our website. Um, and then also some exciting news is we'll be launching a podcast. Um, and that's really to just broaden our reach and support the young adult community um, and that's going to be, I don't have an exact date on that, but I'll, that'll be in the coming months. Um, and essentially, you know, if you just want to first get in the mix, I would say go on our website at firstdescents.org and sign up for our newsletter. And that's how you can get started. Awesome. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Some other programs as well that you mentioned. Um, of course, I'm a fan of the podcast because, you know, here we are now, but uh, it's also that, that other kind of unique resource is um uh, to kind of connect others and find their own adventures is pretty awesome as well without living it. So um, everybody definitely make sure you head to the website, check, check out the program, get some more information. Um, I, I know their social links and stuff are on there as well. So definitely check them out. Um, but Mackenzie, thank you again for being uh, on today's podcast and I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. You too, Jeremy. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.